regardless of whatever circumstance we find ourselves in this morning. Because we know that you're greater than that circumstance. And Father, we raise a hallelujah, Lord, with those that are mourning the loss of loved ones in El Paso and Dayton today. That we're standing with them and sending our prayers towards them and the things that they're dealing with right now. That, Father, you would meet them in their mourning and in their grieving. Father, we ask for those that are in critical condition right now, Lord, that are fighting for their lives, that a miracle would happen, Father. Lord, we ask that people, despite this difficult situation, would realize that you can comfort them in this moment. Father, we ask that you would be the prominent one in the heart of our nation, Lord God. Father, we ask that you would move in these families' lives, Jesus, and comfort them and love them in their grieving. We stand with them today, Father, here from Southern California. We thank you, Lord, that we can raise a hallelujah despite whatever circumstance we're in. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. You know, as Christians, uh, as a church, oftentimes you might not hear us make very political statements from the stage. Um, we're not going to be a church that walks into the election necessarily and tells you all how to vote. Uh, certain issues... We might not be a church that tries to make a stance on either side because we believe as a church we're meant to side, stand on the side of people. Uh, we're meant to stand on the side of human dignity. We're meant to promote human dignity in society, that people have value and, and people have meaning. And regardless of the color of your skin, the language you speak, whether male or female, how much money you make, everyone is welcome to come and learn about Christ. And so we want our church to reflect that everyone's welcome here. We do our best to try to make people feel comfortable in being present here because we believe in people. We believe that each individual is made in the image of God. Therefore, the born and even the unborn, we fight for it because we fight for human dignity. We fight for life. And we understand that <clears throat> what our nation needs, like any nation, is that Jesus would rule at the heart of every person, that he would be front and center. So while we might want to attribute this leader or this idea or this social justice idea or this, we might want to hope that that's the answer. The, the, the purest answer that we can talk about is Jesus. Because we're kind of living in a time where we want the benefits of the kingdom of God, but we don't want the king anymore. We want the, the benefits, the prosperity of, and, the, and the hope of the kingdom, but we don't want Jesus anymore because we don't want to have to consider what he would say about certain issues or, or deal with what he thinks we need to do or don't need to do. <laughs> uh, but that's not going to work. In, in some respects, a lot of where we've got ourselves in America today started in probably the 60s when we started pulling prayer out of schools and saying it was unconstitutional to let people have freedom of belief system and practice Christianity and make Jesus front and center. I mean, if you think about, for some of you, where society was in the 50s compared to where it is now, you'll probably wake up every morning going, where do I live? Because it's changed so much and partly because we've said, hey, we like what Christianity did for our country, but now we don't want the Christ in Christianity because we don't want to just kind of be the kings of our own hearts. And anytime humans are left to the point of just making decisions for themselves in their own power with their own reason ability, they're going to choose themselves above others and oftentimes we don't make the best decisions. 
In fact, Paul talks all through Scripture about that, that every human being left to make decisions by themselves will always choose what's right in their own eyes. And that can be, that scale is very extreme. It could be as extreme as backstabbing someone or as extreme as picking up a weapon and taking someone's life. But whatever is right in my own eyes, I will do what I want to do. But Jesus came and said, that's not what's actually going to make you happy. There's, there's a different way of happiness, and, and that's not what will make you happy. Because what will make you happy is putting me at the center of your heart. Me being Jesus, not me. I don't want to be there. <laughs> and you don't want me there. <laughs> I don't even want myself there. <laughs> because at the end of the day, that's the... The goal for us is to see Jesus reign in our lives above our own reasonability. Because it's like, why wouldn't we want to trust the designer of heaven and earth, the designer of the human mind, of DNA, the, the designer of the intricateness of nature? Why wouldn't we want that one, the one that designed all that, to be the one leading in our hearts? And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, this is what will make you happy. Left to yourself and your own decision-making ability, you're probably not going to create really positive things for yourself. And that's why we've been going through these Beatitudes. Because these are promises from God. These are things that he's saying, these are things that will actually truly make you happy. And, and, and he promises it. He's not saying, if you do this, I don't know, maybe it'll work out for you. Hopefully you'll smile once in a while. He's not saying, well, if you act like this, I don't know, like, Maybe coincidentally, the stars will align and you might find happiness. In the Beatitudes, he's saying, if these things are evident in your life, you will be happy. It's a promise to us. And it's not a promise made by a Middle Eastern man who had some great ideas. It's a promise made to us by the living Son of God, the designer of everything around us. And he says, this, this is my way for you to find flourishment and happiness. And so when I see things happen, like in Dayton and El Paso, I'm moved to prayer for my nation. Because I know that at the end of the day, it's only if Jesus is reigning in everyone's heart will this nation truly be saved. It's, it's what needs to be there. If it's not there, and I can put that into action and have opinions with legislation and take action on these different things too, of course. But at the end of the day, I know that it's Jesus. He's the only one that has the capacity to change the human heart. Because I know he's the only one that has the capacity to change my heart. <laughs> and so my hope would be in prayer that God would move on the heart of our nation, would move on the heart of the people in the churches, that we might reach a point of desperation going, Okay, Lord, we're tired of trying to be our own king. We want the living king. We want Jesus to be king of our hearts. Because he wants us to flourish. He wants us to be happy. And he gives us a picture of how that happens in the Beatitudes. So if you have Bibles, you can open with me to Matthew chapter 5. Like this entire series, we've been taking a moment to read through the entirety of the Beatitudes, hoping that each and every time we read them, uh, you think of them different because of the week before of focusing on them. Uh, See so if you have your Bibles, open to Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And we believe that more than ever right now with Dayton and El Paso. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, 
but they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this morning, we're going to focus in on the sixth beatitude, which is mentioned in verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We're so close to finishing this series, uh, which has been a great series, but I'm looking forward to finishing it because it's a very convicting series. Every day I think about, oh my gosh, my daughter's freaking out. I'm not being very meek right now as I hold her down. Stop, don't do that. <laughs> I say that out loud. <laughs> like, that's right. I think we're going to do a series on grace next. It just feels good all the time, right? <laughs> now this beatitude today is probably for many people a difficult beatitude because it's difficult to understand. It's simple in the language it uses, but the concept of it is kind of rough. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. <laughs> How do you have a pure heart? <laughs> I don't have anything even close to a pure heart. I, if I don't have a pure heart, then I guess I can't see God. And, and what does it mean that my heart's pure? Like there's a pure form of blood flowing through my heart? And seeing God, like that doesn't make any sense. Like Moses had to hide in the cleft of a rock and turn his face. He wasn't even able to look at God. How am I going to see God? But I'm, to be honest, not even going to get there because I can't even get a hold of this idea of having pure heart. I, it, it, it doesn't work for me. I, I can't grab this concept. I'm never pure. I'm not sure I want to even see God. As a kid, I was always scared of the idea of seeing God. I know that sounds kind of weird, but I was. I was so comfortable with God revealing himself to me if it happened during daylight hours. <laughs> I didn't want to see it at nighttime. I just was one of those kids. I was like, Lord, if you're real, that's awesome. But anytime from sunup before sundown, I'd love to look at you. But I don't want you coming to my room at night because that's going to freak me out. <laughs> and people would always tell you stories of, I saw an angel. And it, it was always at nighttime. I'm like, I want to see him in the daytime. Nighttime freaks me out. <laughs> What does it mean to see God? And, and when you read this verse, it's, it's a bit of a conundrum at first until you look at the original language. Because maybe the words that we're reading here have a deeper or broader meaning than what we just read at face value. For instance, let's take the word heart. The word heart in Greek is cardia. And it does mean heart, but it means something different than just the physical function of a heart. As we know, the function of the heart is the pumping and the keeping of blood flowing through the body. But in the way this word is being used in this text, it's less meaning your physical heart and more addressing an idea of the spiritual center of your life. Uh, the place where all your motives are formed. Uh, the, the driving part of all of your actions. That everything that you would do would come out of this center, most inner being of your heart. You might be familiar with the verse, Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, where it says, Jesus says, You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For your mouth speaks what the heart is full of. My heart's full of blood. I don't know how that translates in speaking out, but I, I don't know what that means. Well, he's not actually meaning your physical heart. He's meaning the inner post, innermost part of your being, the center of your motives, the, 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 the central spot 
that all the most important values sit that dictate every which way you live your life. An inner part of your being that no one else can see but you and no one else can know but you and God. That's it. It's, it's that close, that close, that, that tight, that important to your life. Well, okay, that sounds good, Matt, but then there's this whole idea of being pure because I know <laughs> if that's the case, I definitely know it's not the purest part of my life. <laughs> and to be honest, if I was to really say it was pure, I'd probably be bragging and then it's not pure again. Like, I, 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 I don't have that pure spot inside my heart. Well, maybe the word pure means something different. Now, the term pure here uh, is kind of a dual meaning in that it's a fixed idea and a progressive idea. This is what I mean by that. Uh, when you look at all of the texts and all of Scripture, you'll see this idea of purity kind of going throughout the entirety of Scripture. Uh, it's an ethical idea, being pure in your actions. It a, was a priestly idea in the Old Testament. Um, the priests just sought to be pure and washing and cleansing before they did the practices that they were doing. Uh, and it's, it was also this kind of idea of clipping back uh, a vine. And once it was all the dead parts that were cleaned off, it was considered pure. So it was this idea of a state of being and a process you were in. Some would say that the purity in the Bible refers to a position of your heart, and then an idea of something being practiced by your heart. And this is what I mean by that. When you accept Jesus, in a sense, in accepting him, your heart is put in a position of being pure before God. It's pure. In that moment of accepting Jesus, it's like the blood of what he did washes your heart, and God sees through that blood your heart, and so he can look at you now. You're in a positional place of being pure. That's a place now that God can see you, interact with you, work with you, get involved in your life because you've been made pure by the covering of Christ's sacrifice. So when you accept Christ's sacrifice, you're saying, I can never be pure. I'll never be in a position to look at a perfect God. But God goes, it's okay, we made provision for that by my son. As he clothes you, as you back into him like a pair of clothes, God looks at you and you're positionally pure. Then scripture also deals with this idea of then practicing a purity. Where once God sees you as pure, and now you can have a relationship with him, now he wants to grow you into the person he's always known you could be. He wants to practically see purity walk out in your life. He wants to guide you into the way he's always saw you were meant to be, and According to scripture, according to this story, God would have had calling and purposes and gifts for you before the fall. When the fall happened, sin came in and tainted all that. When Jesus now comes in, he covers you, and now God begins to restore that back in you. He begins to walk you into some form of purity. So this is the actual purity that Christ is kind of emphasizing here. He's emphasizing this idea of my heart is the center of my being. I've accepted Christ and what you've done in my life. And now because of that, you're working out a purity in my life. I am learning to give you more areas, areas of my heart so you can be in the driver's seat. Because if you're not in the driver's seat, I put fake things there. Like the idea of controlling people around me. Or the idea of being comfort. 
comforted. Or, or the idea of always wanting to be accepted. I, I have all these idols that I'll put center in my life if Christ isn't there. But when I accept Christ, he begins to push those idols out of my life as he takes the driver's seat of my heart. And it's this process that Christ is talking about. There was an old song you might have heard back in the 60s and 70s called uh, Refiner's Fire. Has anyone heard that one? Re I'm not going to sing because this is going to get real awkward real fast. And I think we're live streaming this and all my homies are going to be like, you don't ever sing again. <laughs> but it goes, Refiner's Fire, my heart's one desire is to be holy, set apart for your will or your purposes. It's crazy that we, would, we used to sing songs like that. That we would say, I want your refining fire in my life so I can be set apart and do your will. But <laughs> we don't really sing those songs anymore because we just want to hear about how good we're supposed to feel with God. But the problem is when we say refiner's fire, we're saying, I got to accept some pain because I got to feel the heat. Because a refiner, if you've ever watched the show Gold Rush, anybody seen Gold Rush here? I love that show. You need to watch that show. It's all about finding gold. I never knew that a D9 tractor was so cool in my life until I saw that show. But they would take, they break up the ground and they do their best in breaking it up to find the gold. And so they would grab these rocks, they're smashing them, grinding them through, separating it. Then they finally get the gold. And once they get the gold, they put it in this thing called a crucible. Once they place the gold, or if it's silver for that matter, they put it in the crucible and they begin to turn the heat up on this crucible. Now, as the heat intensifies, what ends up happening is the impurities that are mixed to gold begin to separate from the gold. In which case, the refiner is there to continually pull back out all of the impurities. Well, some of those impurities can't be taken out unless the heat's like super hot. In which case, the refiner is really sweating through their clothes trying to remove these impurities. Well, the refiner will stop once he can look over at the precious metal that he's trying to refine and once he can clearly see his reflection inside of the precious metal, then he'll realize the impurities have been removed. In the same way, God wants to break up your life, <laughs> puts you in the crucible, turns up the heat and he sits over and he begins to remove the impurities out of your heart until he sees a clear reflection of himself in your life. But here's the problem. There's fire. <laughs> and fire burns. <laughs> and we don't like pain as human beings. <laughs> we run from pain. In fact, we probably have more of a cultural narrative right now that if you feel pain, God has abandoned you. Yet all through Scripture is this idea that pain and suffering actually can be used to refine your heart, to put you in a place of walking towards purity, of allowing you to become who God's made you to be. So all of a sudden, we get this idea that actually I can find happiness then in the midst of my trial or suffering because maybe it's happening and God can use it to burn out some of the impurities in my heart. Because there's oftentimes a lot of opportunities in our life that we get a chance to see the nasty stuff in our hearts. And if you don't think so, ask your spouse and ask them about the nasty things in your heart. I recently had a situation where I was about to travel to Hawaii and um, my doorbell rang a couple days before and I went out and UPS dropped a box on my front door and I thought, oh, there goes another Amazon box again. Thank you, my wife. So I, 
or anybody for that matter. I know everyone shops at Amazon. It's like I need like another recycling bin just for the Amazon boxes. So I get this box, I go inside, and my friend, my friend was, I was staying with me for a few of those days, and he was going to house it because I was about to leave. And he goes, what's that? I go, I don't know, it's a box, and it doesn't say my name on it, but it's got my address on it. And he goes, well, you should open it up. I'm like, yeah, I, I suppose maybe someone sent me something and used their name instead. So I open up the box, and as I open it up, it's got like three brand new pairs of Nikes in it, all my size. It's got all this like really rad workout gear, which I don't technically wear, but if it looks cool and it promotes me to work out, I might wear. So I'm like, oh my gosh, look at all stuff. And he's like, well, who, who sent that to you? I'm like, well, I don't know if someone sent it to you. It's probably someone else's or God's providing for me. <laughs> my friend's like, well, I don't know. It's got someone else's name. I, I'm like, I know, but it came to my house. So I'm like, look at him. I'm like, oh, this is legit. Oh, my gosh, these are so sick. I can, and then my friend's like, yeah, but what are you going to do? I'm like, I don't know. So I decided, well, after a little while, I realized that I wasn't being very integrous. So I decided, you know what, let me wait 24 hours. If no one shows up, then I guess it's from Jesus. <laughs> so I wait 24 hours. Sure enough, no one comes. So I wait 48 hours. Sure enough, no one comes. Then I just felt convicted. I'm like, man, Matt, you're so stinking selfish. It's, you're basically considering stealing. At the least, you should send it back to Nike. But I'm like, they're not going to know. They're like a huge conglomerate. Who cares about a few extra pairs of lost sneakers? <laughs> but I didn't do it. So I left it behind, and I actually went to Hawaii. I forgot to, I was going to tape it up and send it back to Nike, but I didn't. A few days into Hawaii, my trip, my friend calls me because he was house-sitting and says, Matt, the, there's a guy that showed up to get the shoes. I'm like, no way. And he's like, oh, man, thank God you didn't keep them or try them on. I'm like, oh, thank God I did that. And he goes, you know what's even crazier? I'm like, what? He goes, the guy's name was Jesus. <laughs> what in the world? Such a sinner. There's often times all through our week that we're desperate to see God, but we don't see him because we don't allow ourselves the chance to be purified in these different circumstances. We, we justify them. We say, well, I, was, I, I, I lashed out like that, and that's okay because this is how I felt. Or we treat someone a certain way. That's okay because this is, it made me comfortable to do that. And we have all these other idols in our heart, and Jesus is going, I'm turning the fire up because I want to remove the impurities of your life. Because when I do that, guess what? You're going to see me. Now, seeing God, this word, is another interesting word because it doesn't actually mean to gaze or to look or to actually physically see. There's other words in the text in the Greek and Hebrew language that are used for that. But this word is used in particularly in this instance, not as a gaze, but actually as a moment of being caught in awe. That as we allow God to purify our hearts in those moments and we see him begin to turn the heat up and wipe the impurities out of our heart, we begin to have moments of awe of our God. That actually the things that we walk around all day asking God to do, well, oh, I would give you some more money, Lord, if I could see you do this. Or, oh, God, I would commit to you if I could see you do this or that. He's going, okay, well, that starts with giving me your heart first. And as I accept you as pure and to begin to work in you to make you who I've always wanted you to become, that's when you get to, get to see me. 
Maybe the fact that we feel like we aren't seeing God isn't that God isn't showing up. It's that we're not showing up. Maybe it's that we're not giving over our, our hearts for his full reign there to walk through those difficult, fiery times to see him remove the impurities to then be caught in awe going, wow, I can't believe God changed my heart in that scenario. I can't believe I responded different in that situation. I can't believe that I was loving and didn't exude hate. I can't believe I kept my mouth shut when I usually would talk and we realized, God's changing me. God's molding my heart. God's pulling away the impurities out of my life in these circumstances. I'm actually seeing God. It's a promise from Jesus that we can see God in our lives. And it's a promise that we'll be happy if we let him rule our hearts. But that doesn't mean there won't be fire in our lives. But are we going to let the fire cause us to run? Or are we going to sit in the crucible and let the fire get turned up as much as it needs to, to have the impurities pulled from our life so we can begin to see what God's actually doing in our life? For some of you here, you've never allowed Jesus to reign in your heart fully. Well, we're going to get a chance here to share in the Lord's Supper. This is a great opportunity for you to let him do that. For some of you here, you've played church for a long time. And maybe you could say, yeah, I, I actually, that's the idea I'm out of seeing God. I don't, I don't even remember the last time I heard God, let alone saw him. Maybe it's because there's been points of fire in your life that you keep jumping out of the crucible. Maybe it's a chance to sit in the crucible and allow him to turn up the heat. Either way, we're going to step into a time here. That's to focus on the thing that makes us pure and the thing that allows God to work in our lives. And that's the death and resurrection of his son. So as Craig comes and leads us in this time, I want to invite you to make the most of this moment. Because it's a promise that you'll be able to see God. It, it, it's not like maybe you'll happen to see him or you might catch a glimpse, glimpse of him. It's a promise that you will get moments where you stand in awe of the living God. I don't know about you. But I'm willing to get, accept some fire in my life to get those moments. Jesus wants to do that in your life. Let's pray. Father, I pray as we <clears throat> think through this idea of purity, for any, of us, any one of us that are struggling right now in this moment with condemnation, that we let that go. It is nothing about our doing that makes us pure in the sight of God. It's everything about Jesus' doing. That's done. And Father, we accept the fact that our heart is positionally pure before you. Now, Lord, we want to accept you walking us into who you've designed us to be. We want our hearts changed. Father, we want the heart of our nation changed right now. We're desperate for it. <laughs> you are the only one that can change our hearts, Father. And so we ask you to do that this morning. That you would lead us and guide us into becoming the people you've designed us to be. And that we'd be willing to find ourselves in the crucible of life. And when life's heat gets turned up, we know it's an opportunity for you to make us more like your son. And we thank you for that, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to continue in the giving of our gifts and offerings. You're, if you're part of our community, you know what we do at this time. If you're visiting, you don't have to take part in that if you don't want. It's our way of worshiping and giving back to God. And then we're going to move into a time of sharing in the Lord's Supper together in which Craig and I, myself, will lead you in that expression. Thank you.